what is like the type of timelines uh, that we would see for this rise of the next uh, iteration of a technology hub? Because it seems like it's getting faster. You think about something like Silicon Valley, it took longer for China, it took a bit less. And now with AI, it's faster. So what, how long do you think it will take um, Saudi to kind of build the next big hub? I really feel Middle East is going to boom for the next 10 years. Nowadays, anytime I deal like with the ministry or with site, with many, many organization, on the other side of the table, at least half of the people are ladies and they are very well educated and they are passionate to show what they can do. So suddenly Saudi Arabia doubled its workforce. Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impi. Today's episode is a very special one. I sat down in person with Said Amidi, the founder and CEO of Plug and Play. This is a global open innovation platform with a unique business model. I've been watching, learning, and taking inspiration from Plug and Play as I build the Impeak network. Said and I spoke about my upcoming documentary centered around Saudi Arabia's technology emergence. Said's journey in Silicon Valley is both inspiring and intriguing and stands as a testament to being in the right place at the right time and dreaming big. I feel like with Saudi's rise to prominence in the technology scene, we're once again at the start of something big happening that we have an opportunity to be a part of. So without further ado, let's dive right in. So uh, first things first, Said, obviously you're an, a legend, everybody knows you, but tell me a little bit about your journey. Uh, where did, you were here like at the heart of when Silicon Valley was beginning, right? So what did you see? What was like, give me like in a, in, in two minutes, what was, what was it like being here early? Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and then we'll take it. You know, like uh, everybody says, uh, what is important in real estate business is location, location and location. It's just happened that I moved to Silicon Valley in 1979. And uh, quite frankly, I was not initially involved in technology. I was involved in packaging and bottled water, but you could not help it when you were on University Avenue in Palo Alto, less than uh, one kilometer from Stanford University, to come across uh, startups and different technical people. You know, in fact, uh, after we made a little money and we purchased the lucky building, our first tenant was Peter Till of PayPal. And I think at that time he was less than five people. And we could see how PayPal went through ups and downs and merged with x.com. But nevertheless, even till today, is one of the largest payment infrastructures in the world. So because of the timing that I was in Silicon Valley, I saw the first dot-com revolution, you call it, 
then the internet, then mobile. And I just had an unbelievable uh, front seat to see these companies be born and grow. I remember when meeting uh, Andy Rubin, who did Android, initially actually he did an, another smartphone called Sidekick. It used to flip open, you could browse the web, and uh, you know, it was incredible technology, it was incredible foresight. But because when he was trying to do the software, the operating system, the hardware, with, with limited success, he, he sold Sidekick, which is the company was Danger, to Microsoft. And then he started Android outside of Google. But like anything in Silicon Valley that happens, he met Larry and Sergey, and they said, this is a great idea. You need a lot of muscle behind it to compete with iPhone operating system. So then he took it inside Google and built Android. But if you could say I have had both luck, but also I was very curious to see these uh, incredible entrepreneurs build their dream. And then finally, after I would say being 20 years in the Valley, I got involved in technology business by investing in startups. Mm -hmm. As an angel, myself, uh, my brother Rahim and Pejman, we would invest in four or five startups a year. And it was really interesting because we were not a technology people. If we liked the entrepreneur and the idea, we would show the entrepreneur and the idea to our like CTO of AT&T was a friend of ours or Sequoia, Doug Leone was a good friend of ours. So we asked our friends to help us do due diligence before we would invest in the startup. And quite frankly, that worked quite well. And during uh, like the first dot-com bubble and then crash, we did not get involved too much. In, uh, we did do a couple of, I remember, Dovebit, which was a, like an auction house. But nevertheless, we kind of learned by making mistakes and making good investments. And here we are now, plug and play, being almost 18 years old. I love it. I love it. I love that story. Um, there are a couple of things I want to pull uh, from that thread. But the first thing is the role of curiosity. Um, as an entrepreneur myself, you know, I'm building actually a platform that is our business model is quite similar to plug and play, but we cover a different side of the market. Like you guys cover the top end of the market, co companies that come out of um, uh, you know, things like um, Y Combinator, we cover the t tier two and tier three because there's a long tail there. Um, and I learned so much from actually uh, studying the way that you do business. And uh, as an entrepreneur myself, my um, three biggest uh, values are curiosity, 
um, and uh, uh, you know transparency and speed. And and this is uh, this is something that I, I very rarely hear people talk about curiosity, the role of curiosity. So so talk to me a little bit about let's let's tie this into what this documentary is about, which is basically. Um, exploring the rise of technology in Middle East. And, you know, you originally come from Middle East. It was the curiosity in some ways that basically put you in the right place at the right time. So um, can we, what can we learn from maybe, do you think that, um, let's talk a little bit about China first. Do you think that we missed what was happening in China um, in, in terms of the rise of technology there? And could it have something to do with um, the Western lack of uh, curiosity about um, about that side of the world and, and kind of like just generally leaving it to its own, not not getting involved as much. So, so what are your thoughts on why we missed the rise of China before we start talking about uh, Middle East? I am not sure uh, what you mean by missing the rise of China, but if I can tell you uh, that uh, as far as plug and plays concern, we have been in China for close to 10 years. And it is incredible, even not in technology, but if you take manufacturing, China was able to learn from every place on Earth, especially from United States and Europe. So let's say if you take one of their automotive company, SAIC, Shanghai Automotive, I think industrial company, they had joint venture with European car manufacturer, joint venture with US car manufacturer, and a joint venture with Japan car manufacturing. And they would co-develop and co-produce cars in Shanghai. So you could almost say they had the technology of Germans, technology of US, and the technology of the Japanese with hard work and execution of Chinese. And that is why I believe in electric cars. Japan, um, China has leapfrogged Japan, Germany, maybe not US because of Tesla. Mm -hmm. But other than technology, China grew incredibly fast in the last 30 years because of the overseas Chinese. The, for example, in athletic shoes, I remember I met Taiwanese family who was making athletic shoes in Taiwan. Then in China, they built 10 factories building shoes for Nike, Adidas, and everybody else. But they took the best equipment from the world, best raw material from the world, and then they executed well. Mm -hmm. I, am, I dare to say 90% of athletic shoes of the world is produced in China right now. So you take that manufacturing base, hard work, and then apply it to AI mm -hmm. and to technology, they are bound to grow faster, bigger, better. And again, I give a lot of credit to them. Right before COVID, I was in China. And coincidentally, we had an AI summit or expo. 
I met two startups, uh, one from Hong Kong, one from China. And the government of China, I don't know which uh, organization, had given them $500 million each and said, you have to go hire 2,000 PhDs in AI and in engineering. And I asked, I remember the gentleman from Hong Kong's English was better. I said, what industry are you going to focus on? He said, everything. He says, I'm going to put like 30 PhDs to solve supply chain problem. I'm going to put 30 PhDs to solve fintech problem. So when uh, and they have the population, now they have their own market, the middle class Chinese is 400 million people. So they are as big as US buying power, just the middle class in China. Again, I'm sure they will go through some economics ups and down, but they have become the manufacturing part of the world. And I believe, like you said, we have missed how much they have developed, mm -hmm. both as far as uh, technology goes, payment system goes, like every Chinese does every payment on mobile. So they have leapfrog credit cards almost. Mm -hmm. So, and again, if you kind of tell us in US, they are incredibly entrepreneurship and technical. China was incredible engine of growth. And I have been familiar with Middle East, not that only I was born there, but in 1979-80, I used to spend two, three months out of the year in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and Kuwait. So let's, let's uh, segue into Middle East. Yeah. You were born in Middle East. What do you see uh, that is special about the, the, that region? And uh, how do you compare that with what happened in China? Do you see an opportunity for Middle East to rise uh, as like the third big um, technological hub? Great question. You know, I, uh, other than being born in Iran, Tehran, and then immigrating to California, the first chapter of my business life was focused in Saudi Arabia. So I, before Saudi started plastic production, by Sabic and Aramco, I used to represent uh, ExxonMobil in Saudi Arabia. And I used to go to Saudi almost every other month for two weeks. And I used to travel to Riyadh, Jeddah, Dahran, and I even went to Mecca and Medina many times, working with these industrial groups uh, for their packaging and raw material needs. In fact, I also started four water factories in Iran, I mean, in Saudi, Al-Manhal in Riyadh and Al-Safiya, and then Delta in Jeddah. So I'm very, very familiar with the Arabic culture and the Middle East in general going back 44 years uh, as doing business there. 
I must say, like the Saudi, which I knew between 1980 and 2000, it is a totally different Saudi than today. Frankly, I didn't go to Saudi for 15 years. One reason was because Sabic and Aramco are very big producer of polyethylene and polypropylene and packaging. The second reason was, you know, I didn't go there for investment in technology. But the last three years that I've been there, I mean, quite frankly, in 2023, I have been there three times. And the energy of the youth and empowering the youth to think big, think global, I have never seen it almost anywhere else. You know, I have a very good friend, uh, uh, Minister of Information and Communication, Abdullah al-Sawah. In fact, he will be with us tomorrow here. But everyone you meet like him, they want to empower their youth to dream big. They send their youth to get education at Stanford, Berkeley, and so many of these, uh, I would say, educated Saudis now feel they have more opportunity in Saudi Arabia than even here in California. So nowadays, every time I go to Saudi, I try to meet uh, between 20 to 30 startup entrepreneurs. We are uh, helping about 250 startups per year in Saudi Arabia. We call it, we accelerate them in Riyadh or in Jeddah. Then the best ones, I think we even have 20 Saudi startups here today. The best ones we bring to California for a period of a month to three months. So they can think bigger, think global, but then go back to Saudi Arabia and build their core team and execute their dream. So if I can tell you, I mean, like I travel a lot. I, we have offices in close to 30 countries around the world. The energy I have felt in Saudi is a very similar energy that I felt in the 80s in Silicon Valley and in early 2000 in China. Okay, I love it. This is this is exactly what I was, my hunch was, and I, and I wanted to confirm that. So um, this one, I'm I'm going to ask you as Persian to Persian. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that as Iranians mm -hmm. we are not participating in this amazing thing that's happening in in the Middle East? It's it's a, it's a shame. It's sad, um, you know. But but yeah. What do you do? You ever kind of wake up in the morning and think it's a shame that all of this is happening in the in the region and like Iran is not participating? You know, the, I uh, I feel very sad. Number one, because we have seed funded uh, thirty three unicorns. And I would say eight to nine of them 
our Iranian founding team, like Dropbox with Arash, Soundhound with Kavan. There is an incredible startup in Toronto called Apply Board. Martin and his two brothers started Apply Board, which is a $3 billion company. They have a thousand employees in Toronto. Uh, so there is uh, Amir here with uh, Garden Health. So there is incredible talent, Iranians, that we have backed in US, Canada, and even Europe. So for sure the talent is there, for sure the passion is there, but quite frankly, the infrastructure and the ecosystem is now lacking in Iran, in Tehran, in Esfahan, and all over. And it is really, really sad because I would say every Iranian I know who comes out uh, has built a great company. And all of this talent exists in Iran as well. We just have to enable them. I'm hoping for, like right now, China and U.S. are in a little bit of tough politically. So I'm really, during Obama administration, when Iran and U.S. were politically on the right path, I dream of the day that I can do what I am doing in 30 countries around the world in my home country. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, I, uh, that would be ideal situation. And I, you know, I'm uh, reaching like pretty mature age. And in fact, I had a Swedish friend visit me uh, last night and uh, he has raised or helped to raise $9 billion for this company, Northwalt. And Everybody, like we had actually a group of 10 of my really successful friends with me last night for dinner, like Omid Kurdistani, Farzad, Naimi, etc. All of these people who are my age, they love to be able to give back. And again, the situation has to be politically correct, but this is what made China grow this overseas Chinese from US, from Hong Kong, from Taiwan, they all went back to China. They had knowledge, they had experience, and they had money. So they could jumpstart the economy to what it is today. Mm -hmm. And again, I think Saudi has a similar structure. They have the youth. I think the uh, average age is around 30. They have education, and now they are putting their money to work to empower the youth. And I must say, like 20 years ago when I was in Saudi Arabia, people used to be surprised that I knew some Saudi ladies because I knew the Saudi men really well from Menlo College. So I would even go to the, my Saudi friends' homes and meet their family, their children. But nowadays, anytime I deal like with the ministry or 
with sight, with many, many organization. On the other side of the table, at least half of the people are ladies, and they are very well educated, and they are passionate to show what they can do. So suddenly, Saudi Arabia doubled its workforce, and especially educated workforce. And so I really think all of these uh, w would benefit Saudi Arabia to maybe leapfrog other countries in technology and in implementing technology, not only for Middle East and Africa, but perhaps even the world. Mm, super interesting. I wanted to touch upon the women um, thing. I haven't been to Saudi yet. I'm going to be there in January. But I was wondering how I will be perceived as a woman, you know, entrepreneur, filmmaker, you know, that, uh, that's, that's, uh, whether they will be open to it. So it seems like from having talked to, uh, I, I met the people from Monchaat uh, in uh, the Web Summit, and they seem to be very open. Like they were, they were super interested in what I'm building. Do you it feel is like, yeah. totally a different Saudi than I would say even 10 years ago. So they are not only open, they proactively look for talent. Uh, I mean, again, we are helping a number of Saudi women entrepreneurs, but again, they are proactively seeking the talent and giving them growth uh, opportunities. And uh, I think it's just the beginning. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg to empower half of their population. And I think it will have a huge impact. And again, uh, now the Saudis, if it's their choice, if they want to cover themselves or not cover themselves, and for sure, the foreign visitors, it used to be so hard. I remember when I wanted to take my wife there the first time, I had to prove that we are married, and it was really difficult to get her a visa. But right now, in three minutes online, you could get a visa. Mm. And everything uh, is set up for the success of the entrepreneurs and the success of uh, the new generation. I was at the FII last month with the governor of PIF, uh, uh, we have to say Highness Yasser, but I know him as Yasser. And uh, in fact, when I met him there and I met him here in San Francisco, I mentioned to him, it's really good to meet you, Yasser. And he said, no, Said, I met you at Plug and Play in 2016, and I even signed your wall. So I came back and found his signature. I remember he visited us with five ministers, Minister of Oil, Minister of Health, Minister of Economy, and then he, uh, Yasser didn't have a ministry on his card. So actually, I talked to the other five people more. And as when he was leaving, he gave me his card. And he says, just invested $4 billion in Uber. 
So I will be coming for the board meetings. Let's see each other again. And then I realize, oh, he's the most important one of the group. But again, uh, I am very impressed by uh, this governor of PIF with this minister of information and technology, Abdullah al-Savah, who is coming tomorrow. And they are all working together different ministries, different government bodies to create the best atmosphere for technology startups to grow. I love it. I feel like I want to be fly on the wall and come with you to these places. <laughs> so this is the sidekick that I mentioned, uh, Andy Rubin, first wow. company. And in my opinion, it is the first smartphone, mm -hmm. and everybody thought you have to have buttons like BlackBerry. Mm -hmm. So this was like between BlackBerry and smartphone, and you could actually download apps, play games, uh, connect with internet, and you know, it was a phone as well as a computer in your hand. Amazing, we should definitely get a shot of that. Yeah. Uh, to wrap up, one of the things I wanted to ask you is going back to our own culture and, and our own roots. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was born in Iran during the Iran-Iraq war. So mm. I'm not from the same generation. Of, As me. Yeah, that you guys came to uh, the US and to the West uh, in a different time. Um, you know, I, I went uh, as a student, I was studying in St. Andrews University, actually studied political science and philosophy of science and technology before I went into uh, creating, you know, I, I, I built a, a marketing agency and then I built this one and I've worked in TV for five years. Um, so uh, one of the things I, I noticed quite a lot with our own culture is that Iranians have, a, or Persians, Iranians, whatever you say, you know, they have a very interesting reaction to other Iranians. Sometimes they are very, uh, you know, there are people who are very um, uh, helpful and, and they're like, yeah, they want to um, help their own in some ways. And uh, on the other hand, some Iranians are like, I don't do business with Iranians. Mm -hmm. So what's your experience with this? And, and why is it that some Iranians, you know, I've, I met some LPs here, for example, I was talking to them and they were like, mm, generally I stay away from Iranians. So, yeah, what's your... You know, uh, I think uh, everyone uh, makes their own choice or their own mind. Uh, personally, I enjoy working with Iranians. I enjoy investing in startups that are one Iranian founder. You know, in fact, one of the most legendary venture capitalist uh, Doug Leone of Sequoia. Uh, one time we had a Iranian uh, and Israeli networking event where we featured like bunch of startups and he was actually like co-host or the moderator and then he kind of said you guys are mean you have to have not double eye you have to have triple eye because he's originally from Italy but in general, we feel the entrepreneurial spirit. spirit, the immigrants have a higher level of hard work, dedication, and they have to prove in themselves. So 
That is why I personally, frankly, try to help whoever I can with connections. I mean, there has to be a right technology, right education, right background, but whatever I can do for my people from my own country, I do it with pleasure. And frankly speaking, if you now see the Indian group in America, the CEO of Microsoft, the CEO of Google, the CEO of Adobe, Shantanu is a good friend of mine. They really work together. So I, I think if uh, you don't, you're missing an opportunity. So again, I don't have any bias against any other Indian or Iranian immigrants. In fact, I enjoy working with them because there is some sort of cultural closeness that somehow you feel more, uh, you get to know each other deeper, faster. Mm -hmm. I love that. I totally agree, um, especially you know, being uh, an immigrant of a different generation. It was a lot harder for us by the time I got to the UK, um, things were very different and, and it was actually a lot tough, a tougher. I, th I think if you had come 40 years ago, maybe things would have been smoother. So, um, so it's always helpful to meet other Iranians that are actually supported. Um, okay, final question. Let's talk a little bit about your predictions. What is like the type of timelines um, that you think would be, uh, that we would see for this rise of the next uh, iteration of a technology hub because it seems like it's getting faster. You think about something like Silicon Valley, it took longer for China, it took a bit uh, less, and now with the uh, with AI, um, it's uh, it's faster. So, how long do you think it will take um, Saudi to kind of build the next big hub? So I can use plug and play platform as an example. We had zero activity in Saudi Arabia three years ago. And today, I believe we have close to 30 people in Saudi. And we are running consecutively seven different verticals. And as you mentioned, everything happens faster. Uh, and comparison to Japan, We've been there six years, and now we do have an office in Tokyo, Kyoto, and Osaka. But in Japan, we are also running seven verticals, and it took us seven years. Mm -hmm. So one thing is the willing of the government and the different ministries. Uh, we presently work with three different ministries, but... Uh, we are in discussion with Ministry of Industry and Economy. And one thing is they want to help their youth grow the platform for technology business. The second thing is they actually do it. They don't just talk about it. So I am very optimistic. And if you see Dubai and Abu Dhabi, we started with ADGM in Abu Dhabi roughly five years ago, and ADGM has cr created a free zone for 
people to build their company, technology company there, as well as uh, you could say financial headquarters there. In five years now, they have 4,500 companies registered. So Abu Dhabi is incredibly proactive helping startup Dubai, by all means, it has uh, one of the biggest uh, tourism hub uh, shows, like every show you can imagine has a event in Dubai. I think right now it's COP28 in Dubai. So between Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and the rest of the Emirates, and what is happening in Qatar and Saudi Arabia, I really feel Middle East is going to boom for the next 10 years. Amazing. I am just hoping, because I always, I have had a little hiccup in my life with the political challenges. I just hope there will be not a big war or any political, like the Iraq-Iran war, I think hurt a lot of people for no use whatsoever. So uh, if that doesn't happen, I guarantee Middle East will be a superpower within the next 10 years. I agree with you. I guess uh, on that note, what are your thoughts on what's happening in Israel right now? You know, how important is it for this issue to be resolved, um, you know, as peacefully as possible, as quickly as possible? You know, again, I because I consider myself a citizen of the world, I also have at least five Israeli startups that are unicorn that I seed funded. So for me, it's the talent that matters and hard work. So I, I just hope uh, uh, it will not escalate and hopefully less people get hurt. But I really, uh, you know, cannot see what is right or wrong because I'm not on the ground there and I try to stay away from politics as much as possible. I just stick to my business. But really hoping for peace and quiet as soon as possible. Likewise, we all Thank. hope so. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Said Amidi of Plug and Play. Please be sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcast. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others who might enjoy it.